Well, good morning, Mission Church. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, before we get started, I want to give two short announcements. The first is this. Tonight, we have what we are calling our worship and prayer service. It's at four o'clock. It'll go till five o'clock. And, and it's really just an evening for us to gather in person um, to worship and pray together. It is at Valley Church. Um, you can register for that event if you haven't already. Um, uh, there should be a link that comes up on our church online platform. If you haven't registered, you can do that. There is children's ministry. I'm really excited about that. Um, there's children's ministry offered for pre-K through fifth grade. Um, so we really hope that we see you there tonight um, for a special evening of worshiping together and praying together. And then, hey, we are really, really excited. Um, the month of May, as you know, we've only been church online. It's just God shut a number of doors for us being able to meet in person. And so we've been um, working and actively looking for other places to meet in person. And so starting June, the first Sunday in June, we will begin meeting in person again. Um, so we are going to be meeting at Valley Church. Church, and um, we are going to be moving our in-person service to 4 p.m. I realize that is a huge change for many of us to go from a 10 a.m. service to a 4 p.m. service. I'm excited. Um, we're going to have children's ministry um, and, uh, and, and have that. And so we, we're going to be moving our in-person services week in and week out starting for June. Um, I, I do want to just make a couple of remarks. One is we're going to continue having our church online platform streaming at 10 a.m. So um, whether if that time does not work for you or maybe you're not quite ready to go back to in-person, you can continue to join us online here at 10 a.m. for our church online stream um, in my living room. Um, and then the other thing is this. Uh, this is not our long-term plan. Um, God willing, we see this as a season as a church. Um, we feel like we really want to have in person. Many doors have shut for us to meet at 10 a.m. We also wanted to put a priority on our location, staying local. We also wanted to put a priority on reopening children's. And so we were limited in terms of places that we'd be able to meet and still have children's ministry. And so in the meantime, throughout this season of meeting in person at 4 p.m., we're going to continue to pursue looking for other options that would allow us to begin meeting in person um, at 10 a.m. again. But for the near future, um, the weeks and months ahead, we um, see this as a temporary solution, and I praise God for it. It's truly an answer to the prayer. Um, if you have any questions, you can feel free to reach out to us. We're going to continue to communicate this in the weeks to come. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Today's sermon is entitled, The Way of Wisdom. The Way of Wisdom. Now, let me start with a story. Um, a few years ago, I think it was actually about four years ago, I was doing a peer review um, with one of our staff members. We do... Um, annual reviews as a staff every single year around December. Um, and I was doing a peer review. One of, the, one of our staff members was reviewing me. 
Um, I don't know if you've ever done a review before. They're exciting. They can also be a little nerve-wracking too um, to be getting feedback. And the way that we structure our reviews, or at least the way we did then, was the first part of it was an opportunity um, to uh, list some of the strengths um, that were observed the past year. Um, and so this, this coworker, she um, kind of reviewed and, and um, pointed out uh, uh, some of the strengths that she observed in, in me throughout the past year. And then the last part of um, the, the um, review is what we call um, opportunities ahead. Um, and so it's really an, a chance for um, us to just share with one another, hey, here are, um, whether they're blind spots or weaknesses, areas of opportunity that you could grow in. And so I get ready for um, the time to get some feedback of, of maybe some weaknesses that I need to grow in or, or some, some blind spots that I might have. And instead of this coworker of mine giving me a short list or a long list of opportunities um, that I have to grow in some weaknesses, she instead listed a set of questions. I remember this quite vividly because these sets of questions ended up changing in many ways the trajectory of my life. And there was three questions, and under each question, there was a subset of several other questions. But here's where the three questions, right here. Here, here they were. Um, what type of pastor is God calling you to be? What type of preacher is God calling you to be? And then the third question was, what type of leader is God calling you to be? And when I got to this part of the review and just, you know, instead of reading all of these, you know, weaknesses I could grow in, instead I was giving a list of questions. And at first I joked with this staff member, I said, it, all of these questions, is this just your way of avoiding giving your pastor some critical feedback? And we laughed together, but then she said this, and it really did put things in a whole new perspective. She said this to me, in fact, she even wrote it in my review. She said this, Zach, I've learned that it's really helpful to begin with the end in mind. And then she even wrote this in, in the review and she said this to me, imagine you're 60 years old and you're looking back on your life. Who do you, who do you wanna be? What, what kind of pastor, what type of pastor do you want to be when you get to 60? What, what type of preacher, what type of leader is God calling you to be so that when you're 60 years old, you're looking back, you're not looking back with regret? And I sat there and I realized those might be some of the most important questions I ask and I answer in my whole life. And, and, and better to answer them now than in 30 years, right? It's pretty powerful when we can begin with the end in mind. And, and, and maybe, you know, I wrote this down. Maybe, maybe you've asked yourself this question or maybe you've thought this before. Am I really at where I want to be? 
Am I really at where I want to be? Are you at where you want to be? The, the, the husband, the, the, the wife, the parent, the employee, the employer, the, 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 the follower of Jesus that you are. I mean, just think of all of these different categories of your life. Are you at where you want to be? Or more importantly, are you at where God has called you to be? And so let me start with two questions. Maybe you've asked this question of yourself. Why am I not where I want to be? Have you thought about that? Or how about this question? How do I get to where God has called me to be? How do I get where God has called me to be? This passage that we're going to look at is about it, about really finding the answer to this question. How do I get where God has called me to be? How do you get to where God has called you to be as a parent? How do you get to where God has called you to be as a spouse? How do you get to where God has called you to be financially? How do you get to where God has called you to be as a follower of Jesus? How do you get to where God has called you to be? Just fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Because listen, whether, whether 60 years old or 70 years old or 80 years old is, is a long way off or not so long at all, wouldn't it be real amazing to get to that age and look back with fewer regrets and, and a confidence that, that you lived your life and you have become who God has called you to be. And so this passage really, it gives us three wise insights on how we get to where God has called us to be. And, and here they are right here. We need to get three things. We need to get clarity. We need to get aligned. And we need to get Christ deep into the affections of our hearts. So how do you get to where God has called you to be? You need to get clarity. You need to get aligned. You need to get Christ deep into the affections of your heart. Let's take these one at a time. Look with me at Proverbs 4.25, um, verses 25 through 27 here. We need to get clarity. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Ponder. Think about it. Get clarity. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So what is, what is Solomon saying to his son? What is the heavenly father saying to you and I? He's saying we need to get clarity. We need to get focus for where God is calling us to be. Look forward, gaze straight before you. Don't turn right to the left. Ponder the path that is set before you. Just like the coworker of mine said, begin with the end in mind. Get clarity on who God has called you to be. You know, I wrote in my notes, a goal never set is a goal 
never achieved. A vision never clarified is a vision never realized. And, and so going back to my original story I started with, I was so moved and so shaken up by these three questions. What type of pastor is God calling me to be? What type of preacher is God calling me to be? What type of leader is God calling me to be? I was so shaken up by those that, that literally that day I got out my journal and I started journaling. And, and I wasn't exhaustive as much as I was clear. I didn't write 17 paragraphs or a short essay on the pastor I want to be or the pastor God's called me to be. I narrowed it down to three things. What type of pastor is God calling me to be? The same with preacher. I just narrowed it down. I clarified. I determined. I clarified the vision that God was setting before me of what type of pastor God was calling me to be, preacher, leader God was calling me to be. And after I got done with this, I was so amazed by the clarity that I had that I thought to myself, I, I can't stop here. I need to ask the question, what type of father is God calling me to be? What type of husband is God calling me to be? And, and I just went through these different areas of my life. Do you know how helpful it is to know where you're going? It is really helpful, isn't it? So many of you, you don't even know where you're going. You don't even know the kind of parent God has called you to be. You've never taken the time to set, set down and get clarity on that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just simply write this down. Write it down. Don't do the homework yet. Just write it down. What type of, and then just leave a blank, is God calling me to be? And later on today, I want you to just choose three areas of your life. Don't overdo it. Don't choose 10 areas of your life. Three Choose three areas of life, your life where you think about this. Fill in the blank. Maybe you put father. So what kind of father is God calling me to be? Here's, at the top, here's what's at the top of my list. I want a father like my heavenly father. That's, that's, my, that's my vision. What, what does that mean? Well, God is a God who is present. So I want to be a father who is present with my children. I want to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love because that is the character of God in Exodus, Exodus 34. And so I have clarity. I know that I want to be present with my children. I know that I want to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Oh, that is helpful to know when my children are disobeying. Wow, it is nice to know that that is the finish line I have. And so what is your fill in the blank? Maybe it's the kind of parent. Maybe it's the kind of spouse. Maybe it's the kind of grandparent you want to be. Oh, the legacy you can leave. Maybe it's the kind of employer or employee. Maybe it's the kind of um, Christian, the, the kind of follower of Jesus you want to be, the, the kind of neighbor you want to be. Just fill in the blank. Because listen, a vision never clarified is a vision never realized. 
So the first thing you need to do, get clarity. Here's the next thing. We, we need to get aligned. Let's go backwards here. Let's look at verses 14 through 19. Do not enter the path. Now I highlighted that because I want you to recognize the, the repetition of this metaphor that, that our writer Solomon is giving us. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of, of, of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. Verse 18, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Now, one of the commentaries I read simply asked this question. What does this repeated pathway metaphor tell us? We saw it show up four different times this word path or way was used. In the book of Proverbs, it shows up over 100 times. It is one of the most repeated metaphors in the whole book of Proverbs. Life is a path. Now, what, what, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It tells us that life is a journey that we walk on. There is no quick fix. And we take life one step at a time, one decision at a time, one moment at a time, one day at a time. Left, right, left, right. Wisdom is a path. Wisdom is a path. Your life is a path. And the path we walk on, the steps we take, the decisions we make, one at a time, again, left, right, left, right, they are taking us somewhere and they are turning us into someone. Um, if you look at verse 18 and verse 19, I, I want you to notice just the progression, right? That, that this path is taking us somewhere. Our decisions are turning us into someone. Verse 18, but the path of the righteous, it is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. You and I, we never arrive, do we? We never fully arrive, but day in, day out, left, right, left, right. We are moving in the direction, in the destination God has called us to do. So God has called us to be. And, and so we, we can get clarity. We can get clarity on, okay, God has called me to be the type of pastor that prays. I want to be a praying pastor. That is one of my top three. And so day in and day out, Left, right, left, right, I do that. And the more that I do that, the more that I become that. C.S. Lewis, I love this. Listen to this quote. Maybe you want to write it down. Every day, in every little decision, we are not just doing something, we are becoming someone. We are going somewhere.
Every little decision, every little decision, it matters. This means that your character, who you are and who you are becoming, is not fixed by a single moment, not even a single significant moment, but by the daily choices you make day in and day out. Left, right, left, right. Andy Stanley, he's a pastor, he puts it this way. He calls it the principle of the path. And here's the principle of the path. Your direction determines your destination. There's nothing brilliant about that insight. Duh, obvious, your direction determines your destination. If I want to go to Disneyland, I'm not going to get in my car and get on I-5 driving north. I'll end up in Canada. My direction determines my destination. It's not just true in driving, it's true in life. The way that you are moving, the decisions you are making, left, right, left, right, it is taking you somewhere. Your direction determines your destination. Now it's worth pointing out that your desire does not determine your destination. Let me say it one more time. Your desire, who you desire to become, that does not determine your destination. Some of you, you desire to have a prayer life. Well, what are you doing about it? Just because you desire it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Some of you, you desire, oh, I want my children to love the Lord, serve the Lord, follow the Lord. That's a great desire. But what, what are you doing to set the direction towards that? Or you desire to have this rich, intimate marriage. That's a great desire. But again, what are you doing to set your life in that direction? Your direction determines your destination. Now, I'm going to just sit in this a little bit deeper because we see an example of this. Solomon wants this to become crystal clear to us. Let's go back. Look at verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. It says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Now, I want you to notice, notice at the beginning of a path, you have choices, right? Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away. Pass on. At the beginning of our path, the first steps that we take and the first um, direction that we set, there seems to be choices that we have. But look at verse 16. The language changes from choices to language of addiction. Look at it. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. That is language of addiction. I wrote this down. The wrong choices that we make day after day, decision after decision, turn us into the person and the character. Those decisions we've made. It turns us into that. They cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they made someone stumble. For they eat 
the bread of wickedness, and they drink the wine of violence, that when we take certain steps, step one, step two, step three, steps four, and we continue to move in that direction, at first we have choices, but after a while, it becomes an addiction. It becomes who we are. It's worth noting that verses 14 through verse 19, that's six verses, five of the verses have to do with the path of darkness. And only one of the verses, verse 18, has to do with the path of light. It's as if Solomon is telling us, you need to not just know the right path, to walk on, you need to know the wrong path to avoid. But what we need to see is that your direction determines your destination. Verse 18, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Your direction determines your destination. Jesus said, be faithful with little, and then you'll be faithful with much. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament. I think of Daniel in the Old Testament. It took them years and years to arrive to the positions and to arrive at the impact that, that God had called them to. It took them years, it took them decades, but when you track their life, it was just faithfulness after faithfulness after faithfulness, left, right, left, right, steps of faithfulness. Your direction determines your destination. And so it's one thing to determine and get clarity on who God has called you to be in different areas of your life. Employee, employer, husband, wife, parent, grandparent, and so on. It's one thing to get clarity. It's another thing to set direction. It's another thing to determine your steps. And so I just wrote these questions down. What little things are you doing on the path that will lead to that destination God has called you to? Are you doing the little things like they're big things? Um, this is from the top of my head, so I might get it wrong. I read it in a book this morning. Um, when we do the little things like they're big things, God will do the big things like they're little things in our life. Steps of faithfulness, left, right, left, right. What habits are you creating? What books are you reading? Oh man, here's two books that are incredible for this. One, I'm reading it right now for the second time. It's called Win the Day. It's written by a pastor. It's all about this. Atomic Habits. Incredible book. Um, uh, what, what, what books are you reading? What prayers are you praying? And here's what's so great about, um, about getting clarity to who God has called you to be. It sets the direction for the kind of prayers you should pray in and out. When you get clarity on where God is leading you, you now have clarity on the prayers you should be praying. So what prayers are you praying? What counsel are you seeking? What distractions are you avoiding? How are you aligning yourself to go in the direction that God has called you 
to go and to be. Um, so let's let's get to this last point here, because because it's one thing to get clarity, it's another thing to get aligned. The last part is the most important part. We need to get a heart for Christ. We need to get Christ deep into the affections of our heart. Now what you might think to yourself, what does that have to do with becoming who God has called us to become? <laughs> this passage tells us, and, and it tells us it's actually the most important part. So look with me at Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart, Solomon says, keep your heart with all vigilance. That word vigilance, it is a word of emergency, of importance. Keep your heart with all that you have, with vigilance. Now here's the key line, for from it flow the springs of life. All that is important. But what does it mean? What, what does it mean? For from it flow the springs of life. Now, this is where I think um, the New Living Translation and the New International Version, um, th those two English translations of this verse are really helpful. Proverbs 4.23, here's the NLT, here's the NIV. Guard your heart. So do you see that language? Um, above all else, do you see the language of, of, of importance? Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. Wow. <laughs> that your heart, what is in your heart, determines the, the course of your life. That is to say, you can get clarity, you can get aligned, but if you don't get your heart right, you're going to be completely off course because it determines the course of your life. How about the NIV? Above all else, oh, this is important. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. Do you believe that? Every single thing you do flows from your heart. I wrote this in my notes, and I want to say it just right. Proverbs 4.23 is saying that what drives your behavior, your actions, your steps, left, right, left, your course of life, that what drives your course of life is not your willpower, it is not even your determination, but what is in your heart. And your heart here is referring to your deepest loves and affections. The key to life change, the key to moving along the path in the right direction that, that God is calling you to, the key to this is not the acts of the will, but the affections of your heart. 
What drives your behavior is not the volition of your will, but the affections of your heart. And isn't this what Jesus said? Jesus says, from the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, the words that are coming out of your mouth, they are not willy-nilly. They are coming out of an overflow of your heart. And David, remember what David wrote in Psalm 139? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my heart. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. David prayed that because he knew that what was in the heart was going to come out in the way that he was going to live. And, and really, um, isn't Solomon the ultimate example of this? Think about Solomon's life. Let me remind you, because maybe this is new to you, and that's okay. Solomon, at the beginning of his life, when he first became king, do you know where his heart was at? His heart was filled with deep affections for God. He feared God. He wanted to please God. Tim Keller says this about the heart. The heart is this, what you believe you must have to receive life joyfully. That's what's going on in our heart. Our heart is what we believe we must have to receive life joyfully. And Solomon, at the beginning of his life, he knew and he believed that he needed God above all else to receive life joyfully and to live life joyfully. And so what does he do? He seeks God and he says, God, I need wisdom, I need knowledge, and I need insight for this position you have put me in to lead the... These, these people you have allowed me to be king over. And so his heart and his decisions he makes is flowing from a longing to fear God, love God, serve God, honor God. And man, does God bless him. And my goodness, does God turn Solomon into an extremely successful king. And you know what happens? After a while of this, Solomon's heart changes. It changes from from seeing God as his ultimate satisfaction, as his ultimate treasure, as his ultimate affections, and he starts seeing women as his ultimate treasure, as his ultimate affections. And so he abandons God in his heart of hearts and he embraces women in his heart of hearts. And all of the sudden, he goes from seeing God is all that he needs to receive life joyfully. All I need is God and I will receive life joyfully to the point where he starts believing, you know what I need to receive life joyfully? I need women. I need lots of women. And so he collects literally a harem of women, 1,000 women at his beckoning, and his life in his kingdom ends up getting destroyed, and his legacy ends up deteriorating. And you know what's crazy? is one of the most consistent themes in the book of Proverbs, which Solomon wrote, Solomon wrote it, one of the most consistent themes is the warning of a heart that chases 
multiple women. And Solomon, Solomon abandons his own wisdom. How do you abandon your own wisdom? It's when your heart is led astray. And so, so here's the point. You can get clarity on who God has called you to be in different areas of life. You can, um, you, you, you can get absolute clarity for the vision. You can get absolute alignment on where you're going. I'm going to do this and this and this and this. I'm going to establish these habits. You can, you can get absolute clarity, absolute alignment. But if your heart is in the wrong place, you don't stand a chance. So what do you need? You need to get Christ deep into the affections of your heart. Because listen, I wrote this down. I, want, I, want, I just want to read this word for word because it's so important. When you get Christ Jesus, your Savior, your King, Jesus died for you. Jesus has given you eternal life. Jesus has taken all of your sins, washed them away, given you His righteousness, made you a new creation, put His Holy Spirit in your heart, invited you and given you a new identity as a child of the Heavenly Father. And so when you get Christ Jesus, your Savior, deep into the affections of your heart. Not only will he give you clarity for his plan and purposes, but he will also empower you with his Holy Spirit and take you where he has called you to go and make you into who he has called you to be. When you get Christ deep into the affections of your heart, He'll clear the way to where you should go. You know, it's interesting when you look at Proverbs 4 here, verse, 20, verse 23 is about your heart and getting our heart in the right place. We need to get Christ deep into our heart. We need to get affections for Christ deep into our heart. And then when you read verses, verses 25, 26, 27, it moves from our head, or excuse me, it moves from our heart to our eyes to our feet. That when we get our heart right, we can look and see more clearly. When we get our heart right, we can ponder the path and walk the path more steadily. But when, it, when, when money or riches is at the bottom of your heart, if that is what you're after, if you are after riches or if you are after a better reputation or if, if what's at the deepest of your affections is, is prosperity in work or maybe what's at the heart of your hearts is your children or your marriage, even those things which are good, if they become the ultimate thing other than Christ, it will lead you away from what Christ has ultimately called you to go and to be. We need hearts that are moved with affections for Christ. Ephesians 3, 16 through 21 is the way we get our hearts correctly deepened in Christ. We got to start praying for it. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, it's your heart, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And see what happens when, when we do this. See, just follow the progression. When we get Christ deep into our hearts, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you see? This is the big verse. It's literally saying when we get Christ deep in our hearts, when Christ gets so deep, and, and we get to the place where we are filled with the love of Christ, here's what happens. Now to him who is able to do more than, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's what happens. That's what happens when Christ is at the deepest part of our, our affections. This is what happens when Christ becomes your everything. When it's all about Jesus in your life. Here's what happens. The Spirit will do immeasurably. How, how much? Immeasurably. How much is immeasurably? It's more than you can measure. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, I love this verse. It's incredible. Imagine what would happen if today you sat down and got clarity on who God has called you to be. Oh, imagine if you had clarity on where God has called you to be. Imagine if you took the next step and you just wrote down two, three, maybe four things that you're going to do each and every day, left, right, left, right, to set the direction towards that destination. Now imagine this. Imagine that if all of this was anchored with a love and affection in Christ Jesus, and when your love and affections for Christ are deep and wide, he will empower you to move in the direction he has set for you, and he will make sure he takes you to where you should go, not just where you want to go. This is the wisdom of God, and may we walk in it. Let me pray. Father, Help us live this. Help us experience the riches of your love for us that are available in Christ Jesus. Amen.